Welcome to Unleashed at Work and Home, the show dedicated to helping veterinarians, vet techs, dog trainers, shelter and rescue workers, pet sitters, and all the other animal-crazy pet professionals manage their stress and find more joy. I'm your host, Colleen Pilar, and I'm thrilled you're here with us today. Make sure you hit the subscribe button on your favorite app so that you won't miss a single episode. This episode is brought to you by our free community, the Circle of Resilient and Thriving Pet Professionals. If you like the ideas shared here, then you're invited to continue the conversation with other lifelong learners in the community. You can find out more at ColleenPilar.com. It's the perfect place for you to learn cool stuff, feel good, and take action to create the life you love. Come join us. My guest today is Rebecca Johnson from the Family Dog Trainer in Lubbock, Texas. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Colleen. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. I'm excited to talk to you. I'd like to start with how did you fall into this work? So start from the very beginning with little Rebecca and tell me how we got here. Little Rebecca was a free dog walker and the cheapest pet sitter in all the land. I was not allowed to have dogs growing up because my mom was scared of them. So my sweet dad would take me to the pet store to get pets and neighbors would let me come visit. And there's a lab down the street who had um, electric fencing and a doggy door. And so they said, oh, yeah, just come in our yard and play whenever you want. I remember once I went out of town and gave me $20 to babysit for a whole week. And I thought I was rich. (laughs) Yep. I've had jobs like that before, too. So I think that's what fostered my love for dogs. Um, And I always knew I wanted to do something with them. but basically growing up, it was like, okay, you'll be a vet. Okay, I'll be a vet. So I did lots of shadowing. And I did some kennel attendant work. And in college, okay, I'm gonna be a vet. And then I finally, I just realized, I don't think I would enjoy it. I think it's the coolest job in the world. I think they get to do cool things. But the pressure of having to make life and death decisions, the pressure of having a client that you can't ask questions, you know, you're limited to what the owner can tell you in palpations junior year, I said, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) And then that was hard because still even in college, it was still, okay, you're a zookeeper or you're a vet, you know, you go to your, your Mm -hmm. um, career advising and that's all they can tell you. And um, I did kind of some zookeeper type job. And at the end of the day, I was like, well, this isn't really what I want to do forever. And so I just got lucky. I was Um, had left one job and and was thinking I wanted to go somewhere else. And in the meantime, I started working at Petco and they said, Hey, do you want to train to be a dog trainer? This is the first time someone's told me that you can get paid to do something else with dogs. And I got incredibly lucky. And my mentor was um, Claire Apple out in um, Pittsburgh, North Carolina. And it was just fantastic. I fell in love with it and she was a great mentor. And, um, that kind of drew me in. And then from there doing kind of nights and weekends working for other people. And then when we finally moved somewhere after a couple moves with lower cost of living, where it's possible to, Hey, I want to try this on my own. I want to try my own business now that I've gotten the experience. Now I'm here. So is Texas where you started your dog training business or correct? So you didn't have your own business anywhere else? No. No, I worked at Petco in North Carolina. And then when I was in Chicago, I briefly worked for a dog training place there. Um, And then here, I said, I want to try myself. Awesome. 
I think it's fascinating when there are people who have always had this passion for dogs, but didn't actually live with them. It's kind of weird if you think about it. So it was just always in you, right? Oh, yeah. It, it was. I don't remember it ever not being there. And I remember all the stupid, silly things when you're a kid, like, well, I've seen these videos of kids coming home from school and surprise, there's a dog in their house. I'm like, this is going to happen to me. My poor parents, like, it must have been hard to constantly have to say no to something like, no, this really isn't going to happen. <laughs> um, but thankfully, I had a lot of friends with dogs and and I had the neighborhood dogs. So that that was helpful. I was able to foster that love. It's nice that if your mom was afraid of dogs, that she wasn't so afraid that she didn't allow you to interact with the other dogs in your neighborhood, because that that could have been a really tough thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And she's really come around, which has been really interesting to see um, while she doesn't understand dogs and she's scared of them. She's come to a point she realizes, OK, this is a huge part of your life. This is your family member. So on catch up phone calls. Oh, how's Hopper? What are you and Hopper up to? Um, and when she came and visited and I, I think I was going to leave for a client and I was like, oh, do you want me to put Hopper in the crate? Knowing like she's going to be in my house. And I'm just like, oh, it's fine. And I came home. Oh, it's fine. Whoa, <laughs> that's big. Yeah. I mean, she's only 22 pounds, but if you're scared of dogs, you're scared of dogs. It is nice that, that she's really been able to adjust to your dogs and to have that comfort with that. That's kind of awesome. So with your brief foray into zookeeping interests in college, where you were thinking maybe this, you did some work, I think, with lemurs. Is that right? I did. I got to work at the Duke Lemur Center, which is fascinating. Um, They have some free ranging enclosures. I mean, everything's totally fenced in. So by free ranging, it means, you know, you have access to the woods. And so that was really cool working with I mean, I would consider them semi-wild animals. Some of them were originally wild-caught in Madagascar, but they're just so funny to watch. And the different species are each different. Like, I loved watching the ring-tailed lemur babies learning how to do, like, the Buddha pose sunning. And they just didn't have the coordination. And so they kind of, you know, cross their legs and kind of lip and then fall (laughs) over. Kind of look around like, did you see that? Um, So those are great. And then... And um, the Shafox are the ones that kind of look like they're doing jumping jacks when they're moving. So they're fun to watch. And then the rough lemurs, their alarm calls are fantastic. Their coats are fantastic. And they just seem to be the class clowns. I don't know how else to describe it. They just kind of goofy and swing down from their feet and smack each other. <laughs> they just entertained me. And then the eye eyes and nocturnals are fantastic because they're so specialized they're just this weird combination of features because they have continuously growing teeth like a bunny rabbit to chew through bark on trees and they have a 360 ball and socket joint on their middle finger where they can it's really skinny where it can go in where they chewed and pull out a grub and eat and they have giant ears to hear when they're tapping trying to find the grub so they're just such a wide-ranging species and to have so many habitats on an island I just find it really cool So yeah, that was neat. I just, I wasn't sure that's what I wanted to do forever. It's a very contained career. There isn't, you know, a lot of advancement or opportunities for continuing development. And and I think our brains all love learning new Mm -hmm. um, or different. Um, And so I was looking for that. And thankfully, I found dog training where every dog is slightly different and every person is slightly different. And 
Yeah. The combination of tasks or skills you use. So it just keeps me energized and entertained and happy. Yeah. And the dog habitats vary wildly, don't they, from house to house? <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, for sure. I love seeing some of the cool features people have for their dog. Recently, someone had a, a collar for the dog door so no other critters can get in and out. Mm -hmm. So like it has a little chip that the door reads. And if the chip is within a few inches, it opens, but no raccoon or neighborhood cat. So I'm always entertained learning about new things you can get for your dog. Yeah, it is amazing, isn't it? Especially when I do see like the dog door YouTube things where someone will share it where there's the raccoon in their kitchen because it came in the dog door. I think, no, 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 I'll never have a dog door for a variety of reasons, but the raccoon in the kitchen is a really good one. And in Florida, occasionally it's an alligator. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pass. <laughs> no, I'm pretty much like if there's a mouse in my house, I need to sell my house. I, I don't think I could handle an alligator in there. <laughs> so what what do you think you learned from the lemurs that helps you now in your work with families? Um, well, I think anytime you work with a semi-wild animal, you need to be more observant, right? You need to learn, okay, what makes them move away? What makes them stay close? You know, okay, this is the animal that's more comfortable with me in this space. This is the animal I really need to give space. And so, you know, observation, I mean, I, I feel like I've always had attention to detail. That's just kind of in my DNA. But once again, these animals can't tell you anything. Um, so, you know, noticing all the husbandry thing, how are they eating? How are they pooping? How are they peeing? Um, some things that we end up asking our dog clients as we're trying to navigate potty training mm -hmm. or anything else. And um, they started a training program while I was there. So I got a, a little taste of that to kind of see how how that could work in, in husbandry world. So yeah. Very cool. It is true about the observation. And I bet as a kid who didn't have a dog of your own, it made you more observant of other people's dogs. I don't know if that's true or not, but it feels like it would be true. Yeah. I mean, I do remember being observant. Like, you know, I remember the first time they let me walk that dog I loved and, and they walked her on a prong collar. And I remember holding it in my hands and being like, this is a collar. This is weird. Like I was probably eight years old and oh, this kind of hurts and I'm trying to get it on and I'm poking myself. So, so I think I have a lot of strong memories from then being exposed to different things for the first time and not necessarily having someone to tell me anything, just like, mm -hmm. okay, how does this work? What does it attach? And um, learning things for yourself. I remember it was that we lived in a neighborhood um, full of ponds and, and this is a yellow lab. And I had this great idea. I'm going to rollerblade yeah. <laughs> um, until she saw some ducks and took off and couldn't stop. And I just stood on the shoreline and, Watched her swim in circles until a guy who was mowing his lawn went down and called her and she came out. So, um, yeah, I guess there were lots of mini observations and experiments and just learning about dogs at that time because I didn't have one in my house to casually observe. So with your level of detail, attention to detail and your skills of observation and that whole love of learning, what pieces have been most helpful to you in starting your own business and creating a business that's just yours, as opposed to working in someone else's business with dog training? I mean, I think what I love about it is 
the flexibility, like I'm not given this set curriculum and kind of, you know, told, you know, this is what we need to do for every dog. Granted, that was more so group classes. Um, And I don't do group classes now. I I did for a period. But even when I did group classes, I liked the flexibility of adjusting that week. You know, there might be a skill that is more helpful for them earlier that I might wait till later. So that's the thing I love most about my business is, you know, I can teach them whatever I want in that package. It might be titled XYZ, but if PPQ is what they need, then, then I can, I can do that. So that's what I really like. I always noticed that too, with training that what I went in thinking I was going to be teaching, even in a given lesson where I knew the dog might be totally different when I walked out and I was like, Oh, well, we adjusted on the fly today and we did a lot of things different than I planned. Absolutely. Yeah. So I asked you for words that, that have meaning for you and they feel particularly apt right now as we're talking about this. You said done is better than perfect is a phrase that has uh, resonated with you over the time. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Where did you first hear it and how does it help you? Yeah, so that specific phrase I first heard in um, Thrive, the dog biz business advising program. But the concept, I think, had been kind of floating around or coming in my head from several avenues. I remember I heard someone, I always hated practice makes perfect. That Mm -hmm. phrase had always kind of rubbed me the wrong way because realistically, you're practicing something and you're practicing something or practicing something, you know my tennis skills are going to have a certain limit. Like my swimming skills are going to have a certain, I can practice all I want and they're just going to be limitations. And so that phrase, so I don't know where I heard practice makes progress, but I was like, Ooh, I really like that. Mm -hmm. This concept, we're not striving for perfection. And then through your programs, whether the evening programs or the um, get it done programs, just you tackled that in various, I don't remember what your phrases were, but I mean, that's what resilience kind of is. In in my mind, if you boil down to it is we're not perfect, we're human. Mm-hmm. And the phrase I love from you is permission to be human. So I think all those thoughts kind of come together and it's just easy to remember done is better than perfect. <laughs> it's less flowery and flowy, but it really has allowed me to do things that I might shy away from or make excuses for or say, oh, well, I'm not good at that, so I shouldn't do it. Or that's not going to be pretty, so I shouldn't do it. Like um, gardening is something I really love to do. And I have a little bit before living in apartments, I was limited to pots and what you could put in pots. And we got a home a few years ago. And so now I can put things in the ground, but that brings up a lot of done is better than perfect because if it's in the ground, like more people see it, it's the front of your house. Like, does it match? Can I keep it alive? <laughs> it brings all that. And um, another friend who brought that in, she's actually a realtor now friend, Paula Thompson. If you need a realtor in Lubbock, Texas, Paula Thompson. But she's a fellow gardener and I can't remember how she described it, but she's like, gardening is an experiment, Rebecca. Like, it just all these messages coming to the same point of like, do it for fun, plant something and dies, plant something else It thrives. Great. If it matches, great. If it doesn't, doesn't. And she just encouraged me to like, take a chance. You see something at Home Depot you want, get it. Don't obsess over 
well, do I have the right light in this? And so that's been fun, giving myself permission to experiment with gardening and take the pressure away and just enjoy the zen and the flowers and the pollinators, the hummingbirds have started visiting my backyard, which I absolutely love. Oh, how fun. Um, so, yeah. I like the the gardening is an experiment. Um, I moved recently and I told myself that in my new home, I was going to be a person who could keep houseplants alive. And I have seven houseplants that are still alive like a hundred days into this. So not, you know, tremendously long track record yet, but it's probably a hundred days longer than other houseplants have lived in my life. (laughs) That is one project I I probably won't take on in part because my cat will eat anything that is fake or alive. He'll eat fake Christmas trees, real Christmas trees, (laughs) fake plants. So Darwin's probably part of that. But I do think indoor plants is its own challenge in itself getting the light and that yes <laughs> kudos to you for trying the house plant i asked for what are the plants i'm least likely to kill um i asked kim immel who's part of our our group of of dog training pet professionals who are, has a passion for gardening as well and she gave me a list so I, I i have seven plants i don't know what they all are but i assure you they are all ones that are forgivable where they say oh you didn't water me for a month i'll come back <laughs> So hopefully uh, we'll continue. But but that idea of gardening as an experiment ties so closely to done is better than perfect. And done is better than perfect is really empowering both for you as a business owner and also for all of your clients and their training skills. Because so often we look at you know the perfectly trained dog and think I'll never get there and just lose the enthusiasm for training. Instead, if we can just kind of keep going, keep working, keep experimenting and just do something, take action. Yeah. And, and trying to really hear and elicit from them what truly is bothering you. What truly do you want to work on? You know, Hopper does some counter surfing. And so we just kind of keep stuff back on the counter. It's not really something that bugs us. So it's not something I work on. I, there's a lot of other things we work on, but in our household, it doesn't matter. And I notice some, it really does. I mean, if we're eating at the dinner table, she'll go lay on her cot. But, you know, if there's just stuff laying out. Um, but I remember one of my husband's friends came over and made some comment, well, my dog doesn't jump on. I'm like, great. Either your dog just naturally doesn't, you work on it. Great. But that's not what I'm working on. I'm <laughs> working on barn hunt and walking nicely on a leash and we're delving into start buttons our first time and vacuums. And those are the things that are important to me right now. And so trying to figure that out for the client, okay, you know, what they say might actually not be what's really bothering them and try to figure out, okay, if we can solve that thing, they might not care about the other stuff, they may not care if their dog can stay or lay down. It just might be don't run out the front door or might be fetch. I had one client who like, she didn't really care about manners. She was just upset that her dog didn't know how to fetch. Okay, great. You want to focus on fetch? That's fine. And so for me, that does tie into done is better than perfect. And that, you know, know, they're not looking for the perfect dog. They're looking for some specific thing that they feel is missing or frustrating or not working. um, And they want help with that. Yeah. And I think being really open to that, everyone does have different ideas of what they want, um, helps us to be a little more creative in providing it that 
so much of our society has this idea of like, there's a right way of doing things and, and here's what you should want or how you should do things. And to recognize that for some clients, they want just fetch and others want, you know, like you said, you're not working on counter surfing because you're working on barn hunt and the vacuum and start buttons and, and things that matter to your daily life. The idea of really embracing that, that we can all have totally different goals. And as long as we're all working towards something that brings us joy and satisfaction, then that's the goal. That's the right goal. We shouldn't be comparing against perfect or perfection or anyone else's ideals of what we should do because that's so crippling. Yeah, absolutely. And I say it like I'm an expert and, I, and I'm really not, you know, it's something I'm always practicing and trying to catch. And there are going to be clients where I realize at the end, oh, shoot, I, I didn't hear them. I didn't, we didn't have enough dialogue for me to, I guess this was the thing that bothered. So I taught them this, this, and this, and this, but really it turns out that was the thing and I didn't know it or I'm hard on myself or so I think the awareness is the thing that I'm most proud of. And I'm going to give Colleen kudos because <laughs> her program is like practice, 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 practice. And I don't see that in a bad way. I just mean over long term, hearing these messages kind of seep in and maybe the first time you don't get it. And maybe a second time you don't get it, but then someone else in the group presents how they applied it in their life. And then there's this little light bulb. So it's just nice. It's, it's kind of like a, a comfort blanket or stuffed animal, this thing you can kind of try and bring in more and more to turn off the little hamster wheel in, in your brain or the shoulds or the I didn't do well enough and the perfection. I mean, it, it just all ties together. And so, I mean, even though I've heard it different ways and different things that done is better than perfect is just the one I can keep saying, knowing that it also refers to everything else I mentioned and beyond, but just trying to let go of that stinking perfection because it yeah. does no good for any of us. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Because um, that's that's why I do what I do, because I struggled with the perfection for so long and was completely stuck with it. So I appreciate the little shout out. Um, and it is a practice. It is a matter of like, we have to just keep showing up. We have to just keep doing it and and done. There is no end point. Yeah. And, and I think it's good you said there's no end point. Like, as you know, in our Wednesday mornings, I do my photo album every week. And I never would have been able to start that project without you and accepting this. Okay, there's a project you want to do. Why don't you put a time slot on your calendar and, and you protect this slot? I mean, obviously, if you need a plumber, you know, that happens. But and you say, okay, just for an hour, you're going to do the project. And here's this photo album I'm like 30 years behind on and have stacks of stuff everywhere. And I made every excuse in the book on why I can't do it or why it won't be good enough. And to have that space to just say, you know what, one hour a week, wherever you end, you end, like throw away photos, put them in, whatever, whatever. You don't have to have stickers. You don't have to have fancy lines. You don't even have to label if you don't want to. Just taking all the perfection and expectation out and here's an hour every week. Use the little sticky dots to put it in the album. There you go. And now I have this product I can enjoy. I can't enjoy photos in a box. I'm never going to see them, but I can if they're in a photo album. So once again, done is better than perfect. Yeah. <laughs> And coffee, you are another life skills <laughs> strike. And I'm able to achieve something. I mean, I've moved those 
photos, what, five times in my life. I think there've been five moves and done nothing with them. And, you know, it's taken decades. So that's a big thing for me. Yeah, it is. It's one of those things where we, we have those on our wish list, you know, the thing I'm going to do when I have time. And we think about how much time it will take and then we get overwhelmed and we don't even start and we get all the parameters of perfection in there too. Like when I do it, it's going to be lovely and it will have stickers and it will have labels and everything will be absolutely perfect. Oh, I don't even have time to think about that, much less do it. Yeah. And then you finally sat down the number of times that I'd sat down and then just been like overwhelmed and get nothing accomplished and see, that's why you don't do it. You can't do this. Yeah. (laughs) And then the flip side, like on the Wednesdays, when you take an hour, I imagine sometimes you're amazed at how much you got done. Like you can go like, oh, wow, look at all that. All of that is just today. And you can see it build. Yeah. And it's so routine now. I'm disappointed. Like, I can't remember why I had to miss one. I think it was the plumber or something. And just like, dang it. (laughs) I don't want to have to schedule that during this time slot, but you don't really get a choice with the plumber. So... (laughs) And I did, I missed it and I was disappointed and I was like, wow, this is the time and a task I really do value. So, yeah. I realized we didn't actually say what Wednesdays are. So on Wednesdays, um, there's a free show up for yourself session, which is what Rebecca's referring to that a lot of pet pros uh, just when they are available, join together and everyone does whatever matters to them. And what I think is really magic about that is that it is whatever matters to that person as an individual and not, you know, your shoulds. It's not your shoulds list. It's the things that are going to make you feel better. And it's so powerful to think of giving ourselves permission to show up for ourselves and to actually take time to do something that matters to you. And I love that you're doing photo albums and going back through all those memories and and reconnecting with those times in your life. And trial and error to find what to do in that time slot. Like I know I, I had some trial and error and tried some different things and they just didn't feel right or they didn't feel like they're honoring that time slot until I found this. And then I know on the flip side, there are other people who tend to do something different every single week. So, mm-hmm. you know, some people do paperwork or taxes or whatever, um, and that works for them. And that's great. And I also found that does not work for me. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? Like experimenting and finding out what works. It's all an experiment. All of life is experiment. It's not just gardening. <laughs> All of life is an experiment for dabbling. Yeah. And I've I've started using that word with clients and I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. I guess time will tell, but I'll just say, well, well, let's experiment. Let's see. Let's see how this helps, you know, just, just give it a try. And then if it doesn't work, well, that's trial and error. Let's try something different. And I think that kind of opens it up. I think when you hear experiment, maybe you just feel a little, little less stress. Like, oh, it's just an experiment. Like there's no pressure. If my dog doesn't do what we're thinking the dog will do. That's okay. We'll try a different experiment. Yeah. Cause it's all data, you know, so it either worked or it didn't work, but we learned something. And now we have another idea for our next experiment. So with clients, what's your favorite kind of, well, tell me who you like to work with best people wise. Like what are the characteristics of the people that you most enjoy working with? I just love people who see their dog as a family member or a friend. They're they're not a nuisance. There's just something they want help with. And and they'll describe it that way. Like someone recently was like, I, I just want my dog to be a good household citizen. And I was like, how beautiful is that? She wants a good household citizen, not my, you know, my dog's a terror. My dog's, and I get it. Like people are stressed and emotional and frustrated. And also there's just this difference 
in people where I'm sure she's also a little bit stressed and frustrated. And yet she sees it as this family member who just needs a little bit of help and guidance. And I love that people are like, hey, I want some training and and already are coming to me knowing, okay, I'm part of the picture. So just the people who want to be involved and see their dog as a whole picture and, and not the problem, those are the best to work with because we can just get to work. We don't have to wade through, you know, uh, wade through the weeds just to, to get started. It's like, mm-hmm. well, let's get started now. I just think they're fun. Yeah, they are fun. So if you had a wish for pet professionals, what would it be? Um, kind of into perfection. Stop comparing yourself to others, you know. Um, we're all unique and different. Some people might be expert on a niche. Some people might be generalized. Some people might have large volume, you know, in their business and some are smaller volume and stop trying to imagine that one is right or better or more successful and just focus on what feels good to you and what clients you like and what topics you like and fills you up and just stop overthinking it the way we're so naturally wired to constantly be thinking and comparing. But at the end of the day, it, it's not a benefit yeah. <laughs> to yourself or to your clients. Yeah. And when you think about what fills you up and, and what you gravitate toward, you're more likely to do your best work in the world. Like really yeah. when, when you're aware of like, Oh, I love this then that's probably what you should be doing in this world and not trying to be like someone else or provide something that someone else does that you admire, but you don't love. So Yeah. And even if it just comes down to like, I've been realizing more, you know, client times, I really don't like teaching evenings and weekends. I started there when I had my full-time non-doc trainer gig and loved it. But at this point, I'm like, I'm not really my best in the evenings and I want to spend time with family on the weekends. So allowing yourself that too, you can still be successful and professional and and whatnot and and limit those time slots and fill them, you know, during the day when you are more so at your best and excited about it. Yeah. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you. So if people want to learn more about you and your work, how could they do that? Uh, my website is thefamilydogtrainer.net. Um, I do have a Facebook page, but I'm not very active, but there are cute dog and puppy photos there. <laughs> That's what you're looking for. But yeah, my contact information is on my website at thefamilydogtrainer.net. And um, Lubbock, Texas, West Texas, go Red Raiders. <laughs> it's our local university. What is a Red Raider? <laughs> it's like a person in like... Uh, with like a red mask. Oh gosh, you're putting me on the spot, but like, so it's like a human. So it's not an animal of some sort. It's a, it's a raider and they happen to be red. Okay. Yeah. They ride in on a black horse and they have a red cape. And so, yeah, my apologies to any Texas tech fans who could explain this better. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining me on Unleashed at Work at Home today, Rebecca. This was really fun talking to you. Thank you, Colleen. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. I invite you to come learn more at ColleenPilar.com where you can be steady, be strong, and be long.